Welcome to Stony Brook. We are so glad that you are here in worship with us today. I am Pastor Jennifer Casey. I bring you greetings on behalf of our preacher of the day, Pastor David Hoffman, along with Pastor Bob Thomas, our pastor emeritus. As we begin our time together, you will find your connection card in your bulletin packet or online at stonybrook.church in the worship section. Uh, the connection card is a place where you can register your attendance, uh, share any prayer concerns that you may have. And on the back, if you flip it over, it's also a place where you can uh, indicate your interest in missions and uh, ministries of Stony Brook Church. So be sure to take a look at that. Uh, drop it in the offering basket on your way out or fill it out online and it will uh, get to the right place in the church office. Our prison ministry continues its dynamic activity here through Stony Brook Church. We have another participant in the New Home Project who is ready to transition to independent living. Uh, Kayla will be transitioning into a new home and is in need of some items to help get her set up. If you are feeling uh, called to help support this, this ministry of the church uh, by supplying some household items, you can find those items uh, in your weekly email newsletter uh, or online at stonybrook.church slash new home project. The Kairos team also sends their thank you along to the congregation. Uh, at last count, there were 730 dozen cookies. Yes, let's celebrate that. Yes. Thank you for all of you who have spent your time and energy and prayers baking the cookies. They will be off uh, to the prison next weekend uh, to support the men as they go through their Kairos weekend. Uh, so you are all encouraged to pray for that. Pray for those of us from Stony Brook who will be uh, helping lead that program next weekend. Our annual church conference is coming up on Sunday, November 14th at 1 p.m. We will be offering it in person and online via Zoom. Uh, if you are interested in the Zoom option, you will need to register for that. You can call the church office or you can um, find the link in your weekly email newsletter and get yourself registered in that way. And then finally, the United Methodist Women have gotten creative this year in the pandemic and they've reconfigured their annual election bake sale. Instead of baking items to sell this year, they're hosting a no-bake bake sale. So try to get your head around that. Uh, their bake sale, uh, each year the monies that they raise go to support uh, women and children around the world in a variety of mission projects. And so uh, they are looking to continue that way of reaching out into the, the community of the world to support our, our sisters. And so you are invited to help support their mission by giving a financial gift. Uh, you can do so. There's a table out front where you can uh, drop your donation in the basket. You can drop your donation in the offering basket, or you can always give online at stonybrook.church/give. 
You will find all of this information that I just shared and so much more about the mission and ministries of Stony Brook Church in your bulletin packet and online at stonybrook.church. I invite you now to uh, turn your hearts and your minds to our prelude as it helps to prepare us for worship. invite you to rise in body or in spirit as God calls us to worship today. Come, take refuge in the Lord, for God is good. From the storms and struggles of life we come. Come, rejoice in the Lord, for God will provide peace for you. From fear and anxiety we come to find peace. Come, open your hearts to the Lord, and you will be given blessing. Thanks be to God for the many ways in which we are blessed.
be seated. I invite you to join me in a spirit of prayer. Open our eyes, we sing. We want to see you, we praise. But do we really, oh God? Are we ready to truly see you, to experience you, to know you? Would it be too much? If we actually see you, what would it mean for us? Would we have to change? Open our eyes, O oh God, and have mercy upon us while doing so. We genuinely believe we are doing our best, but so often our best falls short. We walk by those who are hungry. We move our faces away from those who suffer. We turn a blind eye to injustice. Sometimes we are blinded to the things that live right in our neighborhood, right in our homes, right in our own souls. Have mercy upon us, O oh God. Open the eyes of our hearts, God, for we do want to see you no matter how scared we may be, no matter how good life seems to be, no matter what, we want to see you. We want to see you as we pray for the missionaries in Haiti. Return them with safety to their mission. Return them with safety to their families. We pray for those communities who continue to recover from natural disasters. We pray for the West Coast as they face a powerful storm. We pray for all of those around the world who live in fear for their lives, in violence and oppression. Open the eyes of our hearts, God, to those who are grieving, those who are hurting, those who are waiting. Help us to become more like you, more compassionate, more generous, more merciful. We want to see you as we earnestly pray these words taught to us by Jesus, the one who showed us your heart, as we now join our voices together praying the prayer he taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this daily, our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Thank you for your gift of music this day. Our scripture lesson comes to us from the 10th chapter of the Gospel of Mark, a continuation of our journey in Mark, where we see Mark, the Gospel of Mark, as a mirror for us as disciples. Here are these words. They came to Jericho, and he and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho, And Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many sternly ordered him to be quiet. But he cried out even more loudly, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and said, call him here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. So throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Then Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, my teacher, let me see again. Jesus said to him, go. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight and followed him on the way. Friends, this is the word of God for all God's children. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. Thou who art over us, thou who art one of us, thou who simply art, give each of us a pure heart that we may see thee, a humble heart that we may hear thee, a heart of love that we may serve thee. And most of all, a heart of faith that we may always abide in thee. This is our hope. This is our prayer this day. Amen. Jesus was on the move, going from place to place, from city to city, from village to village. He couldn't be stopped. His popularity had been building He had gathered a large crowd, and now they were following him, anticipating his next words of teaching, anticipating his next healing miracle. Jesus was giving them something larger than themselves with which to believe and and to trust and to follow. 
and the crowds, they were responding. Jesus, however, in the back of his mind, knew that they were nearing their, the end of their travels together as Jerusalem could now be seen on the horizon. He had already shared with his disciples that he would suffer and die on three separate occasions. But the disciples weren't paying attention. The disciples had their minds set on other things. And this morning we find Jesus and the disciples and the crowd in, in Jericho, and apparently nothing much happened until right when they were ready to leave. Just then, when they thought that they were on the move to their next destination, they were interrupted and their journey came to a screeching halt. There was a man, a man sitting beside the edge of the road, drawing Jesus' attention, and all the disciples could see was this man's blindness. A Coloradian moved to Kansas, and I can't resist this illustration because Pastor Jennifer, Phil Warner, and I are heading to Kansas later this afternoon for a conference. But a Coloradian moved to Kansas and built a house with a large picture window from which he could view miles and miles of open fields. The only problem is, he said, there's nothing to see. About the same time, a Kansan moved to Colorado and built a house with a large picture window overlooking the Rockies. The only problem is, I can't see anything, he said. The mountains are in the way. <laughs> but sometimes it is for us a matter of perspective and seeing beyond our own individual point of view. The man's blindness was a stumbling block for the disciples. He must have been blinded for a reason, the disciples and those in the crowd thought to themselves. And in that time and place, the physical and the spiritual were often treated as one. If a person had a physical or mental disability or an illness or a disease, it only stood to reason that the root cause was because of some spiritual deficiency. The blind man, in one sense, had a pre-existing condition. And some around him attributed it to his parents or his own sinfulness. He was as blind as a bat. By the way, if a bat shows up this morning, I am out of here. <laughs> if you don't know this already about me, I do not have a high regard or bats, and the last time that I met a bat, it was during a worship service. So there is precedent, but if a bat shows up, I'm out of here. <laughs> but the man was treated as an outcast, begging for his food, sitting by the side of the road. He probably was without home and income and relied upon others for his sustenance. And the only form of social supports in those days was a life of begging. The blind beggar, however, was pretty resourceful. He used what he had. He was a great listener, using the only senses that he had left, or maybe the only ones that, with which he was born. And when he heard, right, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, 
he began to cry out. Not once, but twice. He was persistent. We also know that the blind man was a man of faith. We can tell that he was a man of faith because he addressed Jesus as a descendant of David. Jesus, son of David, he says. And he also addressed Jesus as a teacher or a rabbi, identifying himself as a student or follower. He also asked for mercy and healing. Have mercy on me. The blind man knew that Jesus was one who would extend mercy and grace. He knew that Jesus had the power to heal and to bring life. The blind man believed that there was more to life than meets the eye. He believed even though he could not see. Well, when those in the crowd including his disciples, had located the source of the disruption, they ordered the blind beggar to be quiet. They even tried to mute the blind man and entirely cut off any form of communication. First, it was his sight taken away by by situation or circumstance. And now it was his voice. They were not willing to give the blind man a chance, and and given a chance, they would not have even recognized him there at the side of the road. Their behavior is reminiscent of the disciples' actions just verses before, like we spoke about last week, turning the children away. You see, they so wanted Jesus to continue on on the journey and not become sidetracked by this outcast. They, They didn't want themselves nor Jesus to be bothered by this blind man's request. The blind man had nothing to offer them, they must have thought to themselves. Besides, Jesus has important people to meet and and supporters and donors with whom to attend and and to smooth and, and a government to overthrow didn't have time for this. The blind beggar didn't fit into the mold of a follower of Jesus that the disciples had created for themselves in their mind's eye. And then it happened. Jesus stood perfectly still for a moment as if to gather his thoughts. It was a a dramatic pause in the action. And at first it appears as if Jesus must must have been as surprised to get interrupted as the blind man was to get Jesus' attention. Jesus stood still to get the crowd's attention. Here comes this word of teaching that they had been waiting for. Here's something for which to pay attention. And then Jesus crossed a line and invited the blind man into his presence. It would have been against his better judgment to associate with a beggar, let alone a blind beggar, but Jesus chose to break with social tradition. And, and throwing off his cloak, the, the blind man, his cloak maybe maybe his only possession that would have, have been spread out on the ground to collect coins 
He threw off that cloak, a visible and tangible reminder that he was himself a beggar. He sprang to his feet and came to Jesus. And at that moment, the the blind man stepped away out of a world of despair and moved to a world of new possibilities. He walked away from what had become comfortable and routine and, and familiar into a whole new world. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. Not a question that the blind man was ever asked by those who passed by him daily. What do you want me to do for you? Remember when James and John were asked the same question by Jesus just verses before and how they responded? They asked for power and privilege and prestige. They wanted a piece of the kingdom of God to call their very own. They wanted to be first and not last. They wanted not to be a servant, but instead they wanted to be served. What the disciples wanted was not ultimately what they needed. Bartimaeus, the the blind man, he was ready. He knew what he was going to ask for. He knew what he needed. He wanted greater faith. He expected things to happen, and he expected transformation. He expected healing. Teacher, let me see again. The blind man knew that we ultimately walk by faith and not by sight. You see, the blind man ultimately knew that we walk by faith and not by sight. The blind man had been doing it for his entire life. And Jesus says, go, go. Your your faith, your faith has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight and chose to follow Jesus on the way. Now Jesus has again given his disciples a glimpse of of what the kingdom of God is supposed to look like, healing those who are sick, bringing wholeness to those who are fractured by situation or circumstance. Setting free those who are held captive because they think that they are alone or or forgotten. Reaching out. Reaching out knowing that the outsider is just as, if not more, important and included than the insider. The kingdom of God is to be a place where the outsider is given a name, welcomed into the presence of Jesus and given a new status and identity as a child of God. This morning's text ends with this man regaining his sight and following Jesus on the way. Now, we are not privileged to the reactions of the disciples and the rest of the crowd. Were they convicted of their own blindness and deafness when it comes to to really hearing and seeing the reality of God's kingdom? Were they challenged and encouraged by Jesus' actions? 
In the verses following today's, we find that the disciples still struggled to grasp what Jesus was revealing to them. And in comparison, Bartimaeus was aware of his blindness, and the disciples were not. To use the idiom again, it wasn't Bartimaeus who was as blind as a bat, it was the disciples. Now, I'm, I'm cautious, always cautious about using idioms because I, I don't always know their origin, so I did a little research. <laughs> the phrase, as blind as a bat, refers to someone who is unwilling to recognize bad things or someone who is completely blind. You can use the idiom, blind as, a, as blind as a bat, to describe someone who refuses to notice the obvious things. Some other interesting things I found in my research, though some species have poor eyesight, particularly during the daylight hours, bats are not truly blind. <laughs> However, this wasn't common knowledge in the days of the origin of the idiom, as blind as a bat. And the term is also attributed to a similar one by Aristotle. He wrote, For as the eyes of bats are to the blaze of day, so is the reason in our soul to the things which are by nature most evident of all. So I ask us this morning, are we immune to the consequences of today's text? What would we name as our own blindness, as individuals, as a, a congregation? Do we have no need for a, a clearer vision and have this complex world and this mystery of faith all figured out? And how would we answer Jesus' question, what do you want me to do for you? Do we know what we need? Do we expect to be transformed? Do we expect to be healed? Do we see everything that needs to be seen? You see, blindness is not just a physical ailment. It's also a state of mind. And this text confronts us. It confronts us with the reality that those in the church the insiders, Jesus' closest followers who think they can see are blind. And the only hindrance to receiving sight is the presumption that one already sees. God, through Jesus, can restore our sight. What do you want me to do for you? How many times do we wish Jesus would ask us that question? Do we even know how to answer? My teacher, let me see again. Isn't that our answer as well? We want to know, to see, to discover, to recognize, to visualize a new future a new relationship with others to, to see completely versus half of the picture or one side of the equation or, or half of reality. We want to grasp 
and to understand the kingdom of God in all of its fullness, both here and now, and in our life to come. Let me leave you with this this morning. Walter Brueggemann, he observes that the church may have lost its way because it's preoccupied with rules and morality, members and dollars, culture wars and church splits. And, he writes, imposing our way, imposing our way on others to get everyone in the right on morality, doctrine, piety, and even liturgy. He says we do this. We do this in the name of the church. We do this in the name of Jesus as though we ourselves have not received mercy. Friends, let us have the courage. Let us have the courage and the knowledge to ask for what we need and the courage to share that mercy, that love, that grace, that peace with others. May it be so. Amen. As we move into our stewardship season, we are invited to go all in at Stony Brook. We are invited to celebrate the many ways that we are invited, inspired, involved, included, invested, intentional, and in tune. I invite you to be inspired by this witness today from Sandy Apicella. So I was asked to talk about being invited and I have two stories that came directly to my mind. The first was actually how we came to Stony Brook ourselves. We had been going to a different church. We were brand new in this area and the uh, church just didn't feel right. It didn't feel like home. We didn't feel welcome. And we were walking right after church in to Kroger at Stone Ridge and talking about the music and how the music really hadn't spoken to us. And this woman, who I had never met before and have never seen since, stopped us and said, well, if you like church music, you have to go to Stony Brook. And I said, well, we're Methodist. And she said, us too. And I said, well, we're Stony Brook. And she said, Gehanna. And I said, I, I don't know where that is. And she said, you're in Gehenna now. And so I looked up Stony Brook, and we came that very next Sunday, and I felt that same warmth and invitation from everyone in here as I had felt from that lady, who, by the way, I've never seen again. And so we joined the church, and we became members. And then the second invitation that we had was really my mother. Pastor Lou was preaching and she gave us post-it notes and said, walk around and put this post-it note on something that you're grateful for. And so most people went to the, to the uh, cross or they went to the communion rail or they went to the doors of the sanctuary or the pew. And my mother went to a man 
and took the post-it note and put it on him and said, I'm grateful for you. And it turned out that that man had never been to Stony Brook before that very day. And he is now an active member of our congregation. So that small gesture, that small invitation was all it needed to have somebody become an active member of our warm and welcoming congregation. I invite you to rise as we sing our doxology and bless our gifts together. invited us into life. It is with thanksgiving and gratitude in our hearts that we return these gifts to you. We ask that you bless them, multiply them so that they can be used throughout this community and beyond, so that all who come to receive them know that they are too invited into your love and your life. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. As we go forth this day, I want to invite you to an opportunity next Sunday following this worship service. 
um, we have a, a opportunity and a gift to host a missionary from the Democratic Republic of the Congo next week, and she will be with us to greet us in worship, and then we'll be uh, uh, doing a, a brief presentation following this worship service next week. Um, her name is Lorraine. She's an agricultural minister uh, in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. I first met her three years ago while I was serving uh, um, on a mission team to the DRC. So um, you will be blessed by her presence. Um, and thank you for the gift of, of members who are hosting her um, this week out to dinner um, as she is with us. So um, I invite you to that next week. Let us now go in God's peace, knowing that God goes with us, eager and ready to restore our sight, to show us ways in which we can become mission and ministers, not only to, to those around us, but to the world. Let us go forth in God's care. Amen. Amen.